We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, folks, right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're so glad when you join us. So is Pete Paquette. He is our engineer. Gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And Nate Harkness joins us in this first segment. He's in Atlanta, Director of International Ministries at WDA. We're going to talk about his book, Spirit-Led Discipleship, Intimacy, an identity and the training of the 12. Stay with us here. Nate, welcome to Orlando. First of all, uh, happy that you can join us. Thanks, Pat. It's, uh, it's really good to be with you today. Be- before we dive into your book, uh, what is International Ministries at WDA? What's all that mean? Sure. So WDA is Worldwide Discipleship Association. Uh, we're based out of Atlanta, but we're working in over 50 countries. So I get to oversee uh, the developing of leaders uh, in about uh, about 50 countries outside the U.S. So I'm always on a plane, traveling, teaching, speaking, um, get to work with some of the, the best minds and hearts uh, around the world in the church. So and just trying me- to really, uh, really make discipleship cool in the global church and obey the Great Commission. Nate, tell me what you see in leadership in other countries. Are you impressed? Um, I am impressed with the heart of God's people around the world, um, but there is a great discipleship gap, as you know. Uh, they say in Africa, but I think this is true around the world, the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. And so people are waking up around the world for the, the need for discipleship. And so the demand for um, teaching and training on discipleship has just skyrocketed in the last 10 years. So every day I get invited to a new country um, to talk about discipleship because it is the Great Commission. And I think we're realizing kind of on this side of the uh, the Crusades uh, movement that really we have not done a good job of discipling people and training them to actually uh, look, feel, and think like Jesus. What is your definition of discipleship? What's it mean? Well, to be a disciple is just to be a learner, and and we're disciples of Jesus. So to be a Christian means to be a little Christ. So I really believe that, you know, Jesus said he lives in us, and uh, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so uh, as he is, so are we in the world. And so we want to, to look, feel, and act like Jesus. I believe that people go through 
a progressive process, um, like infants growing to adults. I think Christians go through a process as well, um, through stages of progressive growth, um, to become more like Jesus and really to be united with God through His Holy Spirit um, and to act just like Him. Uh, Tell us about your new book. Okay, so Spirit-Led Discipleship was sort of an internal conversation that I had with the Lord. Um, As I started doing this ministry, we really teach that Jesus had a master plan for discipleship. Uh, Robert Coleman wrote this great book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, and we really saw in the Gospels this master plan of disciple-making that Jesus had with the Twelve. And as I looked at the Gospels and I taught them to leaders, uh, what I really saw was Jesus was a very strategic planner, but I believe that even more so he was um, a reliant follower. So he, he had this intimate walk with God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And he relied on the Spirit just like we rely on the Spirit for his daily encouragement, uh, direction, for power and resources. I mean, he was God at every moment on the earth, and yet he laid aside his right to assert authority as God so that he could actually set an example for us as a high priest. And for me, this is personal because when I started doing ministry, it was— um, it wasn't very strategic, the outcomes. Uh, it was more like I would just wake up and I would ask the Lord, okay, what do you want me to do today? And the Lord would give me these little instructions. And as I did that more and more, I started to find that this fruit was coming out of my life. And also in the ministry, the ministry was growing through just listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what he said. And so I like to talk about discipleship If you don't hear anything else I say about discipleship, just listen to Jesus and do what he says, Um, because that is the heart of discipleship, is listening, intimacy, and obedience. And so I I wrote this book because uh, when I looked at how Jesus developed the 12 apostles, in Mark chapter 3, he appoints them so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And so I'm looking at okay, what does Jesus actually do in this phase of their development where he's getting them ready to send them out to to preach, to heal the sick, um, to drive out demons, and to stand up under persecution? And what I found is he's following the Holy Spirit, he's relying on on the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's modeling all of these five initiatives that he wants the 12 to do in Matthew chapter 10. And so he's preparing them through modeling and also through a deep relationship. So I talk a lot about what does it look like to build a deep relationship with God? What does it look like to understand our identity in Him? And what does it look like to be filled with His power for the ministry that He calls us to? Nate Harkness is our guest. He's in Atlanta. We're talking about his book, Spirit-Led Discipleship. Uh, Chapter 1 is called Hearing. Chapter 2 is called Learning to Hear. Uh, Tell us about those two topics, Nate. Yeah, so um, what I saw at the beginning of uh, what our ministry would call phase four, which is Mark chapter three, the appointment of the twelve, is that Jesus spent a night praying. And at the very top of his ministry, where he's about to appoint 12 leaders to change the world, the first thing he's doing is praying and listening to the Father. And I believe that God is giving him the identity of the twelve in that in that all-night prayer session. And so I talk a lot about 
um, the power of listening to God. And, and if you just learn to hear his voice, both through his word, through his people, and also through his spirit in our inner man, our inner being, uh, you'll be amazed at what happens. Um, and I think for me, this is very personal because I didn't grow up in a culture that, that really talked about listening to the Holy Spirit. The only people who are talking about listening to the Holy Spirit were the missionaries. And so that's one of the reasons why I always wanted to be a missionary is because I want to know the God who is real and the God who shows up in my day-to-day life, not, not a religious God. I, I want to know the God who actually talks to me and can guide my life. And so what I found, again, you know, just listening to the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the things that the Holy Spirit said to me when I first started listening is, buy a plane ticket, fly to Atlanta, Georgia. I was living in Chicago at the time. Um, I came down here with $10 in my pocket. I left all my credit cards at home. I rode the MARTA around town. And at the end of that weekend, um, by, by chance and through a mutual friend, I met the president of WDA, who I work for now. And the Lord just used that in a series of circumstances to lead me to and my family to Atlanta, uh, where we've been living for the last 12 years. And the ministry is all just a fruit, uh, a result of that one little, you know, asking the Lord, hey, what do you want me to do today? And just obeying what, what he said for me to do. Let's move to topic three. You call it identifying. Explain that to us. Yeah, so I actually think that there is so much about identity that holds the key to, um, to our growth. And so when Jesus looks at the 12, the, what he does is he names them. Uh, the first time he meets uh, Peter, for instance, he says, hey, you are Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And then he doesn't say much more. But later on, he says, All right, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And Peter is getting these little clues into what his name means and also the new name that Jesus is giving him. And so I believe that both our natural names, the names our parents give us, like they, they hold little identity clues. They tell us what, what we're going to struggle with in life, but they're also going to tell us um, hints about how God is going to redeem us um, and the redemptive trajectory of our lives. And so um, thinking about our names, but also thinking about what God calls us. You know, God calls us as children. God calls us saints. God calls us holy and righteous in Him. And uh, when we begin to understand our identity, our habits change. And when our habits change, then the results of our lives change. And I think we need to get back to the core when we're talking about discipleship, the core of identity and understanding who we are and learning to listen to God for what he calls us. And I know for me, God has spoken into my name, and he's also given me a, a new name. Um, and, and he calls me that, you know, fairly often. And it, and it reminds me of what my life is for and, and how, I'm, how I'm supposed to be orienting and aiming my life. You know, God has called me uh, a, a healer of nations. So I set my, my mind and my intention towards, um, towards offering healing to people and also to, uh, to cultures and organizational systems um, where people can experience Jesus and his healing power. Nate Harkness is our guest. He's in Atlanta. We're talking about his book, Spirit-Led Discipleship. 
I want you to tell us now a topic for discovering identity. Just expand on that, please. Well, yeah, I think I think that was my journey of just um, learning to understand my identity. Um, that I am not only not only that I'm loved, and I think this was a, a big part um, that I talk about also in the in the relating chapter. Is, is Jesus um, came to me in, in a what I would call a vision or a, a, a picture. Uh, he gave me a picture of uh, him in the middle of my darkest sin and shame. Um, I had this picture of Jesus putting his hand right on my heart and saying, you are lovable because I love you and you're worthy of love because I made you. Um, And that changed my life. And that is also an identity piece, um, learning to understand who I was. Uh, And when I understood that I was actually lovable and that Jesus really loved Nate Harkness, not just me generally, but me specifically, that really changed my life. Um, And then from there, he talked to me a lot about my identity in mission and my identity in the kingdom. Now, I want you to move to this topic. It's called relating. And tell us what you're writing there. Sure. Um, when I look at Jesus's leadership development strategy, I see relationship at the center of everything he does with, with the twelve. Um, it says in Mark chapter 3 that he called those he wanted, which means that he actually wanted them. Um, he had a relational desire to be close to them. And then it says the purpose of him calling them was so that, number one, they might be with him. And I really think that, that when Jesus develops leaders, he's thinking first and foremost, um, I want to be with my people. And... And it doesn't go much beyond that initially. It's just, I want to be with you. I want to be friends with you. I want to hang out with you. I'm not using relationships to get something out of you, to get job performance. But I also know that the best way for you to live a productive life in the kingdom is for you to know first and foremost that life is about a relationship with God. And from that relationship with God flows relationships with others. And, uh, and the ability to do what he commanded us to do, which is really to love people. And so I, I really think that in the context of a deep relational connectedness that you can feel with God, where it's not just, you know, I know by faith that God loves me. It's, it's that I can, I can actually experience his love. Um, when we experience that love, the Bible says in, in Romans 5 that, um, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we can even rejoice in our sufferings. Um, nothing can touch us when we know that we're loved. Um, and so when we build that deep relationship, that's the context in which we can understand what our job is on this planet, um, as well as what we're supposed to do every day. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest is Nate Harkness. He's in Atlanta. Director of International Ministries at WDA. Uh, We're chatting about his new book, Spirit-Led Discipleship, Intimacy and Identity in the Training of the Twelve. And when we come back with Nate, uh, we're going to talk about uh, cultivating relationship. Uh, That'll be the next topic. Just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're tuned in to AM 990.
and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We will be right back with Nate Hartness. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Nate Harkness is in Atlanta. Uh, We're talking about his book, Spirit-Led Discipleship. And Nate, as I mentioned before the break, uh, tell us about cultivating relationship. How do you explain that? Sure. So one of the big jobs that all of us people have to do uh, in life is we need to learn how to bond with other people. We first bond with our mothers um, through this attachment bond and also with our fathers. And then later on, we have attachment with uh, different people throughout our lives, um, spouses, friends, um, even acquaintances. We have different levels of, of bonds. And I think sometimes that that bond gets messed up. Um, and we're not able to really attach well to people. And so when we, when we come to the Lord, when we come into relationship with Him, sometimes there's, uh, there's healing that's needed in that connection um, because we don't have a framework for the kind of relationship that God wants with us. And I know for me personally, when uh, I was agnostic for a while um, in my 20s, and when I came back to the Lord, um, what really shifted for me is, is the Lord started speaking to me about the fact that He loved me personally, and it really made me very uncomfortable. Um, and, and every time the Lord reveals a new layer of the relationship that He wants to have with me, it always makes me a little uncomfortable because it's not something I'm used to. But through a series of encounters with the Lord where He said, um, He would say, I love you. I'm, I accept you. You're my son. And I would say, yeah, I know Jesus. I know that already. And he'd say, no, you don't, but you will. <laughs> and um, the more that I heard him say that stuff, the more my heart started to change. Um, and the more I started experiencing him and these new realms of relationship became possible. Um, and so I, I'm a huge proponent of going through uh, healing and also just connecting with God directly in prayer, because I think so much of what makes our relationship with God hard is the kinds of relationships that we've experienced on the earth. Um, And when we experience healing in those relationships, or even just go through forgiveness in those relationships, then that opens the door for us to be able to relate more deeply uh, with Jesus. Everything that I do now in ministry just flows out of a daily connection with the presence of God. Um, I wake up in the morning and I say, God, today is a good day to obey you. Today is a good day to to connect with you. And I know that you're right here and you love connecting with me. And I can often just feel that uh, resonant feedback of God's presence and his, uh, his delight in being with me. But that took a long time for me to actually believe that what I was actually experiencing was real um, because of that, that wounded attachment that I had with my caregivers uh, growing up. And so Jesus has brought a lot of healing into my life. um, And I really am passionate about helping people experience, not just, not just know intellectually, but to experience the tangible, interactive, loving presence of Jesus, because he really is our best friend. He really is a perfect attachment figure. He really is 
yes, he's our king. He's our mission commander. He's our, but he's also our friend. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because you know um, the father's business. And so um, for me, my mission in life is to really help people uh, realize that God can be experienced and his love is personal to every single one of us. And Jesus has a specific destiny for each person that he wants to reveal in the context of an ever-deepening relationship. Because he wants to not just be friends with us. He actually wants to be one with us. He wants to be in us as we are in him. He wants really deep union with us. And he wants us to act just like him, not because we're just looking up to him or trying to copy him, but because he's actually flowing in and through us and we are conduits of his presence. And so that for me kind of defines the mission is how can I help people relate more deeply with God? Because I know that's where the good stuff is. That's where they're going to get um, their marching orders and everything else that they need for their lives. Nate, the next two chapters are about empowering. Uh, uh, topic seven is empowering. And then you move on when Jesus empowers. Uh, I want to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, the the ministry journey has been very interesting. As I have experienced more of God's presence in my life, I've also experienced a lot more faith that He can do anything He wants through me. And it's never going to be me doing it. It's always going to be Him flowing through me. And so as I've started to believe that, you know, Jesus is real, He is tangible. Um, I've also started to believe, well, if he lives inside of me, then I bet he could do some really cool stuff. And I remembered how when Lazarus died, uh, Jesus went to uh, to Martha, and Martha said, I know that Lazarus is going to rise on the, on the last day. And Jesus responded, I am the resurrection and the life. And so my thought is, if Jesus is in you and, and you're in the room, that means Jesus is in the room. And if Jesus is in the room, then his power is in the room. And it's not so much about me doing a miracle. It's about Jesus doing what he wants to do through me. And I found that the more I believe that, the more I see real miracles taking place, because I, I actually believe him for that. And so in the last six years, um, for the first time in my life, I've seen real miracles. I've seen um, backs. Uh, healed instantly. I've seen cataracts disappear right in front of my eyes. Um, I've seen, you know, real demons get uh, cast out of people. Uh, And I've also seen the slow, gradual work. And I've also seen lots of stuff not happen when I ask for it. But I find that in that journey of intimacy, I can ask Jesus, hey, what do you want to do here? And he'll actually give me a picture of what he wants to do. Um, and I see some really, really cool stuff happen as a result that really glorifies him and really leads people into relationship with him. And I, I, I really believe that that's what he was commanding the 12 to do in Matthew chapter 10 when he says, um, as you go out preaching the gospel, that the, the kingdom of heaven has come near, um, go out, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead, um, freely you have received, freely give. And so... Um, my heart and my job and my goal is to, um, is to not put limits on what Jesus can do 
through me because I know that, that I'm his and I know that he loves me and he know, I know that he loves to work through me. And so when I'm in a situation where, you know, somebody needs something, I just, I just ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want to do here? And often he'll give me some version of healing, redemption, restoration. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's immediate, um, but it's been really, really fun to see miracles. And I, I really believe that I'm not anything special. Um, because I disqualified myself from that kind of ministry for years before it started happening to me. And I really believe that if people can catch the vision for the fact that Jesus lives in them, and because Jesus is in them, um, when he reveals his will to them, they can participate with him in doing that and praying for that. I I believe we're going to see a lot of people get healed, a lot of people get set free, uh, much more than we're seeing now in the church, because I think the church has been powerless. And I think the church has for too long said, uh, well, that's not my gift, or I'm not mature enough, or, you know, God doesn't want to do that through me, or God doesn't want to do that for others. I think God has such a good will towards human beings. Um, And if we can act this as good, pleasing, and perfect will, and understand what he wants to do in our situation, we're going to find that he's much better than we give him credit for He's much kinder and much more powerful. And so I really want to encourage people to raise their vision, raise their eyes, uh, the level of possibility. What can God do through you if you actually believe he can do anything, that he is that powerful? Like, how can you partner with his good, pleasing, and perfect will in your life, but also in the lives of those around you? And often as we just go out and try to give away Jesus to people, that's where we find the meat is in the street. And that's where we find people getting set free all over the place. I believe that revival is going to happen um, if we can get that message and believe that it's not about me. I'm not doing any miracles, but Jesus loves to flow through me and work through me. Nate Harkness has been our guest. The book, Spirit-Led Discipleship, Intimacy and Identity in the Training of the Twelve. Uh, Folks, we've got more after this. Stay right with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're tuned into AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Uh, Folks, our guest in that first segment was Nate Harkness. Uh, in Atlanta, talking about his book, Spirit-Led Discipleship. Well, we jump from Atlanta to Orange County, California. And who's in Orange County, California? Alan Fadling, a president and founder of Unhurried Living, his book, A Year of Slowing Down, Daily Devotions for Unheard, Hurried Living. Alan, it's so nice to catch up with you, and thanks for joining me. Pat, it's a great treat to be with you. Thanks. Alan, I want I want you to expand on this company, uh, Unhurry Living, this book, A Year of Slowing Down. Uh, what prompted all this? What's going on? Yeah, thank you. Well, this whole idea of unhurried, uh, you know, um, I think it, it's about realizing that um, Jesus lives at a certain pace and that that pace might be different than the pace that uh, our culture goes at. 
Uh, and so when I say unhurried, I don't necessarily mean do less. What I mean is do what matters and make sure there's time for what matters. We can sometimes get so busy in the details of our life and our work that we don't make time for enjoying the God who made us or caring for the people who surround us. So when I talk about unhurried, that's what I'm talking about. And a lot of our work here at Unhurried Living is to come alongside Christians in leadership, whether that's churches or nonprofits or business or other arenas, to help them follow that unhurried way of Jesus in doing what they do. So that's, that's been something we've been up to uh, as a nonprofit for about seven years, but it's really been the story of our life for about 30-some years. Uh, let's dive in uh, to the book. Part one, it breaks into three parts. Part one, uh, and you spend 90 days on this, the unhurried <laughs> way of God. Uh, explain that all that to us, Alan. Sure. Well, so the, the flow of the book really is a, a walk through the scriptures. So those first three months are a look at the Old Testament, very much rooted in the Psalms, you know, which is our prayer book. And what I'm trying to illustrate there is that God takes his time. Uh, God has a long vision of what he's trying to accomplish among his people. And in the Psalms especially, I think you see God's um, attention to his people, and you see God's people responding. And and there's plenty of time for that. You know, so, um, for example, right at the very top of things, uh, the very first day of the devotional, I unpack uh, the line in Genesis 2 where it says, by the seventh day, God had finished his work uh, that he'd been doing. And so the seventh day is the day that he rested from all his work. And then God blessed that seventh day and made it holy. And so that rhythm of six days to work, one day to rest, uh, you know, it's more than just sort of a Jewish law. It's, it's, a, it's a part of the fabric of creation. And so throughout that first section of the devotional, what I'm trying to help readers see is that this rhythm of stopping once a week to enjoy who God is, to enjoy the people God's given us, to enjoy the life that God's given us, makes us the kind of people who are ready to engage the work that he's entrusted to us in those other six. So that's especially one of the themes that I highlight in that first uh, section. Let's go uh, to part two, following our unhurried Savior. And this is day uh, 92 to 273. Uh, I want to hear about this. Yeah, so that's, that's a six-month center to the book. And one of the, one of the ideas that I've unpacked, not only in this book, but in my first two, which were an unhurried life and an unhurried leader, is the idea that Jesus has time for everything the Father has given him to say and to do. And that, therefore, we who describe ourselves as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, we're being invited to follow that way. And so, for example, in the Gospels, you see that Jesus, even when the crowds are at their greatest, still you have the Gospel of Luke reminding us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray, that uh, not only was he there to shepherd those shepherdless folks in the crowd, but but. At the center of it, he was also stepping back to remember and to hear the voice of his father calling him the beloved. 
hearing what the father was saying and witnessing what the father was doing. And then he brought that back to the work that he did, uh, that he came to do as our Savior, as the Messiah. Well, so then for us, and, and really the theme of these entries are rooted mostly in the Gospel of John, and they are just vignettes from the life of Jesus that illustrate this unhurried way of his, unhurried enough to be a person who prays, unhurried enough to care for the one on the side of the road, unhurried enough to see temptation coming and to, and to just say a gentle no. You know, we see that with Jesus in the wilderness. And then especially unhurried enough to develop a few, that circle of disciples. That was a major part of his ministry life over those three and a half years. And so those, again, those sorts of themes arise as we walk through the six months of this following uh, our unhurried Savior in that section. And then you move on to part three, living in unhurried community. What's that mean? So these entries, the last three months of the devotional, are focused especially in Paul's letters and those those remaining uh, passages and books of the New Testament. And what I'm trying to illustrate there is the gift that it is to be God's people in community and to make time again for what matters. You know, uh, we could ask the question, what matters most to God? And I don't think it would be very difficult for any of your listeners or for either of us to answer that by saying, well, he does have a great commandment. I love God, heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You won't, you won't do bad if you make that the most important thing in your life. And so I think you see in the church and you see among God's people in those letters of Paul, the letters of John and the rest of the New Testament there, that God's people have time to love one another, and together they have time to love the world around them. And so, again, I'm trying to highlight this idea of slowing down enough to make time for the things that matter most. And when we get in a hurry, sometimes we run past the people we care about or the people God might be bringing across our path to do what may be very important things, but maybe not the most important things that God's you know, bringing across our path. So that's really a highlight of that particular section of the book. My guest, <clears throat> he's in Orange County, California, is Alan Fadling. Uh, the book is called A Year of Slowing Down. Alan, what's the best way to use a, a devotional book? Well, this one in particular, what I was trying to do is take the reader on a journey. Uh, so rather than um, thinking of this as sort of morning-by-morning morning inspiration that are sort of mornings that are detached from each other, what I'm hoping to do is take people through a journey from, in, in one sense, from the beginning of the Scriptures to the end in another sense, what I want to do little by little is give the reader a chance to slow down a bit. And so one of the ways I've described this book is I envision it as sort of a daily five-minute retreat. It's the sense that for five minutes, you'll read a scripture, you'll read just a little reflection on it, but then at the end of each reading, there's a question. And it's not so much a question of getting your Bible knowledge right. That's, of course, important. But this is more of a, a question of reflection. It's the kind of question that you, you can take with you into the day. It's the kind of question that can be a lens through which you see your day. 
And so my hope is as readers move their way through this year, they will begin to cultivate some habits. They'll begin to cultivate a vision. So I, again, your question, how do you use the devotional? I think at its very best, it's a way to shape a, a sort of posture of soul toward God in the midst of everything that, you know, fills our lives. Alan, I'm going to rely on you here. I want you to pick a devotional, pick any day of the year, and uh, yeah. and 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 then share it with us, and um, and tell us how we go about putting shoe leather to it. Absolutely. Well, you know, from the section where we um, where I, I unpacked sort of the unhurried way uh, of Jesus, uh, one of the passages I highlighted is the one where he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Mm -hmm. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so in that entry, I just said, you know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the the enemy challenged him to turn stones into bread. And, And Jesus' response is, you know, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, you know, in his ministry, Jesus, the Son of God, completely man, completely God, gave us words of life. And so what this says to us is that Jesus himself is the one who feeds my soul, nourishes me. He's the one from the heavens who gives himself to me so that I can live an abundant life as I walk with him. He is the one who helps me see that every other definition of the good life comes up short next to the beauty of goodness of life lived with Jesus. And so in that particular day's entry, I just invite people to think, what are two or three things that have surprised you most as you've gotten to know Jesus better over time? And so part of what that entry and and others like it are trying to do is shape a sort of God-soaked imagination in the lives of those who will read. And so that, you know, the, the ancient practice we call practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence from a few centuries ago uh, had conversations about it, and we have a book in that uh, to that title. Practicing the presence of God in part is about reshaping our imagination so that we see everything in our lives through the vision of, well, we're in this, we've come through this season of Advent and Christmas, God with us, Emmanuel, that that begins to shape uh, who we are and, and how we do what we do. Excellent. I like that. Now, Alan, hey. before the break, we have about three minutes. I want you to pick another devotional for us and uh, and share, uh, share it with us and what it means. We got three minutes before the break. Thanks. Here we go. Sure. Well, one of the others, a little further in, this is in the Gospel of Mark, I I highlight that little story about the widow who gives her two little coins. And um, there's a writer by the name of Reginald Somerset Ward who writes a a book about guiding other people in their life with God. He says, it's true that it is only within our power to give our two little coins. And he says, those two coins are our time and our desire. And I I love that idea that what we have to offer is not just our financial resources, but but it's the gift of our time and the the gift of our heart. And so what I find is that this is the currency that we can invest in our own spiritual growth and caring for the spiritual growth of others. 
you know, maybe we feel like our time and desire are small, maybe a little bit like the widow's two small coins. But Jesus always sees and values even our little offerings. You know, it's almost as though we're planting seeds. Seeds are so small, so unimpressive. And yet you plant a seed and you care for it well. And after a while, you'll have something quite remarkable that will grow from that. So I think a lot of times in terms of spiritual growth, we imagine that it happens mostly through huge heroic endeavors. And of course, God will give us big things to do at times, but mostly it happens through those little, you know, the two little coins like the widow offers, two, you know, little seeds that we plant in our life. Uh, I just think that's really genius, the genius of Jesus in that little story. Alan, I'm, I'm intrigued with your company, president and founder of Unhurried Living. Uh, what, what's the mission statement say? Well, we've got a little tagline that we think uh, captures a lot of what we do. We say that we're trying to help leaders rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. And so rest deeper is not just about taking naps or getting enough sleep at night, but it's, it's finding that rest of soul Jesus promises, you know, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. Live, uh, live fuller is about leading from a place of abundance, uh, not giving people the last three drops in your cup, but learning to live the Psalm 23 language of my cup overflows. And then that overflow is what I bring to my work, what I bring to other people. And so that last phrase, then lead better, is the fruit that comes from those first two little phrases. My guest is Alan Fadling. We have another segment with Alan. <clears throat> he, we're talking about his book, A Year of Slowing Down, Daily Devotions for Unhurried Living. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend. Always delighted when you join us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, more with Alan Fadling. First, these messages. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Alan Fadling is with us. He's in Orange County, California. And uh, we're talking about his book, A Year of Slowing Down. Alan, uh, prior to the break, uh, you, you kept mentioning the word leadership. Why is leadership such a big deal these days? Seminars. and Listen, you can get a Ph.D. in leadership. The the books never stop pouring out. Never. Uh, What's what's the deal with leadership? What's the big deal? Well, I know it's a theme that matters a lot uh, to you. You know, when I talk about leadership, maybe I'm thinking uh, John Maxwell has, has sometimes liked the word influence capture the spirit of what maybe leadership is. So I may not mostly be talking about having a role in an organization, though, of course, that's leadership. What I'm especially wanting to talk about is the influence of our lives. Am I becoming the kind of person whose life is a good influence in the lives of others? And so when it comes to being a person of influence for the good of God's kingdom, part of what that means is that little by little, my life is being shaped by the values of that kingdom. And so you know, one of the lists of that of that the, that sense of values is Paul's list describing the kind of fruit God's Spirit produces in us, fruits like love and joy or peace and patience or the rest. Now, these aren't normally the, you know, the list of virtues that 
you know, we would popularly um, highlight, at least some books would popularly highlight when it comes to describing leadership. But again, I think if leadership is influence, then is my influence in the lives of others helping to cultivate in them a, a bit more loving, peaceful, joyful, patient, kind, gentle life in their little world, wherever it is they happen to have influence, their families, their neighborhoods, uh, their workplace, those who work for them, those who work alongside them, those they serve in their work, whoever. So I love that idea of influence. And so that's been a lot of our work, coming alongside people who are in various uh, opportunities, relationships, and roles of influence, help them think not just about what they're doing in those uh, roles or relationships, but who they're becoming. And that takes time. (laughs) Are leaders born or made? I do think there are character qualities uh, that, you know, in terms of confidence or temperament or personality that God gives us. So that's to say uh, born. But I think mostly my feeling is that um, God develops leaders over their lifetime. And part of that happens through the experiences they have. I've watched people who I don't think anyone would describe as leadership temperaments. They were quiet, they were timid, but they were people who sought God and walked with God. And little by little, that grew their confidence, that made crisp their vision for life. And there was something about that that made them increasingly people of influence. And sometimes that even led to places of leadership role. So I do think that a lot of it is about how God works in our lives over our lifetime to give us a vision of him, and then through that vision, give us a vision for what we might do in the world that honors him and that blesses people. I want you to uh, <clears throat> pick out another devotional for us, Alan, uh, that's uh, one of your favorites, and share it with us. Uh, these are valuable. Thank you. <clears throat> well, one of them toward the end, um, the title of it is Start With Rest. And it, it, it grows out of a line in Hebrews 4 that says, Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. And in that context, you know, he's, he's talking about Israel, and he's talking about whether or not they would enter the promised land. I think we can take the application of that in part to say that entering rest, living a restful life, that takes effort. It's, it's not like putting your car in neutral and coasting down the hill. And so in that devotional, I say entering God's rest requires effort. It's more effortless to jump into tasks at times than to begin in God's rest. Restlessness is often easier than rest. But what I've learned over time is that I do better work from a restful soul than I do from a restless one. And so the gift of God's rest isn't something that I collapse into at the end of a day but it's the place that my soul begins to live in and continues to work from day by day. So, you know, I don't seek rest after all the stuff I accomplish in a given day or a given week. I work from a place of settled rest in each moment of my day. And so in that sense, rest is is like a way of talking about our graced relationship with God that can guide and energize everything we do. One of the ideas that I've shared a lot, and I just think this is, is, is a genius one, and that is in the story of creation, you have seven days. On the sixth day, we show up, and then our first full day of life, apparently, 
is this day of rest with God, this Sabbath day. Uh, some of the rabbis would sometimes say, though it's the seventh, it's the last in creation, it's the first in intention. It's our first day of, of life, and it's our first day of living with God. So there's this sense in which Sabbath begins the week in spirit. And that rest, the restful soul anyway, uh, a soul at rest with God, is where we start our very best work. And so I've said you know, that that good rest for our souls is the fertile soil where excellent work grows. Alan Fadling in Southern California, Orange County. You're near Rick Warren's church, aren't you down there, Alan? What, what, what's the story with that church? Yeah, well, uh, we've lived down here for 25 years. And, of course, Saddleback is just in our backyard. Um, I can look out my door and see Saddleback Mountain, which this whole area is named after, and, and as is the church. You know, Rick and Kay have recently stepped away from the leadership of the church. They brought in a, a wonderful new young couple to give leadership for this next chapter. And uh, we've got a lot of really good friends there. We certainly admire the work that Saddleback and Rick uh, and Kay have done around the world. So uh, though we don't attend the church, they have been in our you know, community for a long time. Is Rick uh, still going to be preaching? Or what about his radio ministry, which I listen to periodically? Yeah, I don't know about the radio ministry. I do know that he has handed over the responsibility for primary preaching to this uh, to this new couple who are giving leadership. I know that he's wanting to give more attention, at least this is what I've heard, uh, to extending the message of the gospel around the world, making sure every people group, every uh, language group has access to the gospel. And so the sense I've had from mutual friends is that this is where he sees this uh, this next chapter of his life focusing. Alan, <clears throat> how does revival start? And and uh, how do you go about creating revival like we had years ago in this country? Is it possible? Yeah. Well, it, it turns <clears throat> out one of the days in the devotional, the title of it is Revived Again. It's from that line in Psalm 85 that says, Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? I just love the idea of that phrase, revive again, because as you say, we've had seasons in our uh, history, a few of them, in fact, of revival, where there was a profound renewal of focus on God and devotion to God. And then there have been seasons, plenty of them in our history, where we've strayed away and where a sense of God at the center of who we are and what we do has faded. So I love the idea that we could ask God to revive us again. I mean, revive already says again, you know, re-live again. And so live again, again, in a sense, is what that prayer is. It's certainly one of the things I pray for. And I think many times revivals have come on the heels of times that have felt like very dark times for a culture or a nation or a community. So I have every hope that revival can come. But often where revival comes is from small groups of people who are in a concerted, united, and sustained sort of devotion to prayer. So concerted, you know, they are, they're intentional. United, there is this crossing of even maybe denominational boundaries to gather to pray that way, and then, you know, uh, sustained over time. And so I think that's that's the pathway 
And I think there are people who are asking God that he might do that. In the end, revival is a gift God gives and that we ask for. And uh, I'm sure asking for it. Alan Fadling has been our guest here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're going to, excuse me, we've got to wrap up right after this. Stay with us one minute. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Nate Harkness was with us talking about his book, Spirit Led Discipleship. And then Alan Fadling joined us. And we talked with Alan about a year of slowing down. I want to tell you about my latest book. It's just out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? And over a period of six or seven years, I asked hundreds of coaches one question. Who is the key person in you becoming a coach? And uh, the book contains exactly what they said to me about how they became coaches. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it immensely. Uh, Go up to Amazon and uh, check out these books we interview today and then my book is called uh, who coached the coaches well a very 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 happy new year to you we'll see you next year here on the pat williams saturday power hour it's am 990 and fm 101.5 the word in orlando happy new year to you Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.